Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor. With more than 30 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings, you'll learn to take your mortgage practice to new heights. Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of KineticSparkConsulting.com. Here is Jennifer Duplessis. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm your host, Jen Duplessis, where we focus on helping you grow your, grow your business to heights you never thought possible. So today, um, thanks for joining us. I um, am excited to talk to you, uh, to introduce our guest, uh, Glenn Matson. He is a... Um, sales coach, a sales professional, and I mean this in the true sense, Glenn, it's all about sales, which is something that we don't talk so much about in our specific industry. Is that correct? Most people don't talk that about That is so that. true. Yeah. Right. Everyone <laughs> so thinks it's Glenn, the rate, isn't it? All, all about the rate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. So um, Glenn's specialty is working with top producers in the financial services industry, and I think that, you know, our listeners are really going to enjoy this because a lot of us work with, uh, we're, first of all, we're in the financial services industry, but we also work with um, financial advisors and attorneys and CPAs and things like that. So I know that you're real familiar with what we're, we're about um, but uh, what you do is that you, you know, all of us find ourselves getting a little short by the end of the year or during the year and we're not really hitting our goals and you're able to quickly uh, identify any underlying cause or symptomatic productivity issues that someone has and suggest effective solutions for them. And usually that, I'm sure, stems from the sales aspect. So just so that everyone knows a little bit about Glenn, he's a seasoned veteran of the selling profession. He's professionally built one of the leading franchises for the Sandler Selling System, or Sandler Training, uh, with his office ranking consistently in the top 1% worldwide. So this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, so we are so happy to have you because you know what? Loans don't sell themselves. We actually have to sell in loans. So it's not uh, just an education process, but also a sales process. So thank you so much for joining us today, Glenn. We're happy to have you. Well, Jen, Jen thanks so much for the great introduction. And, and uh, you know, you were right on the fact that with so many people in today's world that we're forgetting the fact that people have to sell and it's this negative connotation, unfortunately, that sometimes selling is perceived as negative. When in reality, if you really look at what we all have to do, uh, not just our profession, but also in our personal lives, is how do we effectively communicate our idea to somebody so that we can be on mutually on the same page to take action or move forward? So you know, if you really look at it, selling is just mastering communication. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the biggest yeah. things um, that I have seen in my industry, and, and this is one of the things I love about Sandler, and you'll talk about here in just a minute, but um, is the, t uh, the propensity in our industry to bring in our big toolbox and just dump it on the floor and have the client kind of select things, you know, that would solve the problem rather than listening and going through a traditional sales process and identifying what the needs are where the pain is and how we can solve it through a consultative approach and 
pulling out the proper tools to fix the issue. Well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. If we look at how people go to market and really the impact that Sandra has had uh, throughout many different markets, many different industries, because if you, if you look at Sandler as a whole from a true selling standpoint, you know, we've been voted uh, number one in three different categories for the last 14 to 15 years. Um, if you look at our management program and our leadership program, it's the same results. So we have a, a, a track record that is not um, ivory tower. It's trench warfare with proof in the pudding for many, many, many years that helps people really understand how to go to market in, in, in generally three key areas, right? The, the ability to go in from a tactical standpoint and how do we strategically position ourselves to actually create some curiosity, create interest, let's figure out if there's really a commitment on their part to get a loan, to take action, or are they more of, hey, wouldn't it be nice to go spend our Saturday looking at homes, but we need to have um, a piece of paper, therefore the real estate person won't let us out. Right? So when we look at tactics, how do we understand and how do we successfully sell the way people buy? And unfortunately, most loan officers, their mindset is sell features and benefits. Tell them what we do. Tell them what our rate is. Tell them why they should use us. Tell them about our turnaround time and our service. Quite honestly, the reality is, is that most people tell people what they can do for them without ever discovering if that's something that they want done. And if you really look at it, if all the loan officers are saying the same stuff, the only thing that separates you from the others is actually your rate. So if you live by the sword, unfortunately, you can die by the sword. And people don't buy based on the rate. What they do buy is, is emotion. They buy to satisfy either pain or gain. And mm -hmm. so most of us, unfortunately, sell not the way people buy. And then on the flip side is the behavior piece, which is are we really doing the right stuff to get in front of the right people consistently? So is that from a prospecting standpoint, an alliance standpoint, maximizing our time and inefficiency? You know, most people, they run ragged at the end of the year, the end of the month, or end of the quarter to hit certain numbers. When in reality is if they were consistently doing the right behavior on a daily and weekly basis, their annual numbers were most of them, with the, co the people we coach and train, they hit their annual number by Thanksgiving because they understand the difference between what we call pay time activities and no pay time activities. And those are things that generate, right? So then the third piece you look at, really, Jen, is, as you know, is the attitude. So... You know, if you look at some loan officers that I know, they will get inquiries all the time about, hey, do you mind if you send me a proposal or send me a rate sheet or a rate quote or do you mind if you can send me um, what I'm going to need from, from a, a rate cancel and so I can go get and look at some homes. Now, we all know that when people make a request of you, if you don't bring the future into the present, then what's happening is, is that we, ha we have no idea if that request is mutually beneficial for both parties. So when we look at the attitude, the attitude are things like, yeah, of course, desire and commitment and taking responsibility and dealing with fear of rejection and failure and et cetera. But part of the other attitude is what's fair is fair. And we call it mutually beneficial and mutually agreed upon. Everything that you decide to do, 
and a buyer decides to do has to really benefit both people. And more importantly is both people need to understand what's happening and what the next steps are. So when we look at attitudes and behaviors and techniques, you know, I know an awful lot of people will say, Glenn, I'll have that attitude once I become wealthier, or I'll have that attitude once I become the number one person in the office. And what they don't realize is the attitude is what got those people to be number one in the office. The attitude doesn't come after success. It comes before success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, you know, you and I were just talking about that attitude piece. I think that's really important. Um, and, you know, in, our, in my business, in lending specifically, um, you can be off-kiltered in that particular segment of the triangle, you know, very easy because the market can sway so quickly. You know, one person gets selected over another person, um, some company announces that they're laying people off, another announces that they're hiring people, and it changes the dynamic of our market. And so if we don't change with it, then we're always blaming the market or blaming, you know, my company for why things aren't, you know, um, even quo, status quo. And so I think we have to be very in tune with that, um, particularly in our industry, because it is so global um, when we're talking to clients about having, you know, a good attitude. Um, even the way that we express well, you know, it to them. Yeah, and you just mentioned something that's a big, big burr in, in at least our side in helping people deal with it, and that's taking responsibility. Um, one of the pillars of the elements of success is responsibility, meaning that everything that happens in your practice, in your financial situation, in terms of your career, truly happens for one of two reasons. It either occurs because you didn't say something or you didn't do something that you were supposed to do, or it's because you didn't say something or you didn't do something that you were supposed to. And because of those two things, we have outcomes. And if we blame outside forces, i.e., the rate's not great where I am, my manager's not around to help me, I haven't got proper training. What's going on with the economy? The surplus of homes are down. If we blame outside forces, Jen, we'll never take responsibility for where we are, which means we're never going to be held accountable. And if we never get held accountable, we never can learn that the choices I make dictate the environment in which I live in. And until we get to that point, learning really never happens. It's only training. So it sounds good. It looks good. You try it but you're never going to change anything. So one of the things I would suggest for your audience is stop blaming outside forces. It takes about 30 days to eliminate excuses in your head. And the shocking thing is most people don't even realize they're making excuses. But your best people in your office don't make excuses. They take accountability, they take ownership, and they fix whatever is causing it to happen, which is quite honestly one of the reasons they're number one in the office. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, the key thing there is adjusting. You know, we were not just too recently listening to um, some loan officers in our office who were saying, you know, oh, my gosh, the rates are up, my phones aren't ringing, you know, this, that, and the other. And you get back to behavior. Well, if you had the standard, you know, behavior practices, then it wouldn't matter what the rates are. And that's one of the reasons why I love working so much with financial advisors, too, because they're not – um, as susceptible to rate environments as real estate agents are. People buy homes in good good and bad markets, high and low interest rates, period, end of story. 
they have a need. 100%. And that having that kind of an outlook, you know, and saying that someone somewhere today needs my services, regardless of what's going on out there, is a, is a big key um, mind shift. No doubt about it. No doubt. Well, you know, it's even even more not more interesting, but as interesting is there's a is a thought process that that you know if we had more time and et cetera, et cetera, I'd be more than happy to prove. But how you buy mirrors the way you sell. Mm-hmm. So let me repeat oh, that. So if how you buy. Oh, so decision making. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you buy lowest price, guess what? You're more apt to sell. Yeah. Only lowest price. If you're mm-hmm. apt to need to be educated before you make a major purchase, you're going to find yourself sending out a lot of pre-approval letters without ever getting any commitment to take action. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who thinks about it for 30 days or 60 days before you make a major purchase, you're going to be okay giving out those pre-approval letters without getting any commitment from anyone for about 30 days. And after that, subconsciously, you're like, I don't understand why they're not returning my phone call or I understand why they're not taking action or they're, they're moving forward with us. So if you look at how you buy, it's called subconscious empathy, is that, Jen, if you and I were talking and you called me up and said, hey, can you zip me over a pre-approval letter? And in my mind, I would need that before I could do anything, and I subconsciously understand why you're asking, then I'm going to have a tough time battling that. Versus, in my mind, I don't understand why you would need that. In my mind, I want to meet with you first. In my mind, I don't know if it's benefiting my time to send it to you yet. So because our perception's different, our strength comes different in terms of using our tactics. You know, I hear this a lot with loan officers. Um, you know, did, I had not uh, compartmentalized this into, you know, a, um, a way that people work, you know, in the psychology of people. But, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about time management. And when people do call and say, I need a letter, I need a letter, um, our propensity, because we're trying to be good salespeople, is to jump through hoops to provide them with a letter, even if we're delivering a baby at the moment, Right. And um, yeah. trying to teach people, trying to teach people to kind of change that a little bit and step back. And you know, I always say it's, it's if you step back and you go slow, then you can go faster. You know, if you if you stop to go slower, um, you know, go slower and assess things, you can go faster later on rather than running around, you know, everywhere. And so one of the things mm-hmm. we've talked about is you know turning the tables and saying absolutely, I can get that to you. When do you need it? not assuming that they need it now. And then someone says, oh, gosh, well, I'm not even doing this until next week, and here we were going to be planning on jumping through hoops, so we're not asking the right questions to salespeople as well. And that brings me to, you know, one of the, the questions I have for you is when, when a buyer and a seller meet, who's got that upper hand and why? Is, it, is that where this is stemming from? Well, you know, it's interesting. If, if you said buyer-seller dance, who has the upper hand? Great question. And, you know, my background um, by design is I'm a, I'm a shrink. So I look at everything first through the eyes, the ears, the heart, the head, and the gut stuff. But historically, I'll do a, a very simple rule that, that we teach people, which is there's always a plan in play. Whoever has the stronger plan always wins. Mm-hmm. Comma. Okay. If you don't have a plan, by default, you become part of someone else's. Mm-hmm. So 
between a buyer and a seller who has a leg up, I would turn around and tell you whoever actually has a plan of attack. So if mm-hmm. a buyer has a plan to come to you and look for the approval letter and you don't have a plan to actually qualifying versus doing it, they're going to win every day. If you have a plan of how to engage people, if you have a plan on how to ask the right questions, if you have a plan and a track that you run on, and it's stronger than that of the prospects, you will have a leg up. Right. So more times than not, it's, it's, it really comes down to who has a better plan, and that is a big picture word, but really who has the better purpose of being there and the ability to qualify it to see if it makes sense to take the next step. And whoever has that in a better mode will win every time. Right. And so that's, that's where scripting comes in. Or, well, you know, I, some people like scripts. I think some <clears> of the best scripts are just truth and honesty. That's the best script. But, um, you know, but this is where scripting comes in and being prepared to handle objections and, you know, knowing how to be a true, you know, salespeople and understanding, I mean, all these crazy, you said features, um, that sell features and benefits, you know, uh, fab, features, advantages and benefits. I immediately thought of, um, you know, all the other, uh, I shouldn't say cliche because I love these sales things, but PECA, you know, pause and um, explain, answer, reflect, all these things. Um, Mm-hmm. But having those tools in advance, in preparation for the question of what's your rate? Can I get a good faith estimate? I need a pre-approval letter. Having a plan in place for responding to those is critical, wouldn't you say? Oh, for sure. And, yeah. you know, the interesting thing is is that most loan officers, for the most part, are probably going to know 30 to 50% of the questions that will be asked them on a phone call. And more times than not, you know, you, you were talking before about the good faith estimate, people calling in and, you know, why wouldn't they just ask a very simple question? I'd be more than happy to. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of quick questions? You know, it, it seems from an idea of time frame, what, when do you need to have it by? I mean, those are just some common questions to ask. But the mindset, is the important, not just the important thing, but one of the important things because most people are afraid to lose something they don't have yet. So someone makes a phone call. I'm talking with you, Jen. I ask you for mm-hmm. a faith estimate, a good faith estimate. Your fear subconsciously is you're coming from a position of fear of I may lose this opportunity. I may lose, I may even use the word opportunity. I may lose the sale. And the reality is you don't have anything to lose yet. You didn't even qualify it yet. So more times than not, uh, you know, it's funny. I was, I was in, um, I live in New York in, in Bryan Park. And here's a, a, a young, younger gentleman. He has a puppy. He's a little lab. And he's throwing the ball. And the lab is running across the park, grabbing it and coming back. And he's having a great time. Now, as he's sitting there, he sees a very attractive uh, um, female. And he's slowly moving to the left. She's moving slowly to the right. And they start talking. And as they're talking, the puppy, who doesn't realize it, is now becoming, quite honestly, a little bit of an inconvenience. But he throws the ball. Dog runs and gets it and comes back. But now he's talking with the other person, and the dog throws the ball up in the air, lands on the ground. He, you know, hits him with his nose, throws the ball back up. 
So now that the boy, the man, picks up the ball and he's throwing it now as far as he possibly can so he can have more talk time. And what we don't realize as salespeople is how often requests really become that tennis ball where they throw it yeah. the first time, we run after it thinking we're doing something good, thinking we're doing the right thing. And after a while, the intention is this is not what we're looking for. So instead of us chasing tennis balls, we would turn around and need to qualify the opportunity. And qualify the opportunity are some simple things like time, scope, significance, what they've done. Um, you know, do they already get one from the other two people? And if they did, what were they hoping yours was going to do a little different, a little better? So just some simple, basic questions of, in your mind, assume you have nothing. And you had to qualify the opportunity before you were allowed to do a good faith estimate. What were the questions you'd ask? And for some loan officers, we'll to turn around and say, let's just suppose every good faith estimate that you sent out, you'd have to give $100 to the company. You'd have to give $100 to yourself if you're self-employed. <laughs> what kind of qualifications would you do? It would be significantly different yeah, than a post Frank. completely different. Just hold on. We're going to stop right. real quick. Sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. So a lot of times, Jen, what, we, what we'll do is we'll turn around and say, let's suppose your good faith estimate wasn't for free. Let's suppose every time that you had to send one out, you had to pay $100. What kind of qualification questions would you ask if you had to do that, right? So in the same world of loan officers or financial planners or CPAs or bankers, et cetera, we give out our, our expertise, quite honestly, for free on the hope that something's going to happen. But if you had to pay for that, we would qualify significantly different than if it was for free. And the best people do qualify. The people who are newer in the business or have some, in, in, some trepidation in between their ears or their heart, they don't qualify, and they hope for the best. And when you talked about who has the upper hand, people who hope is not the best plan. You know, and one of the things that you and I were just talking about was um, the fact that I had come to the conclusion that I was no longer going to send good faith estimates out or now loan estimates. Um, and I actually made this decision about four years ago. Um, so I, gosh, I'm really happy. <laughs> Everybody always gives me a hard time about it. What do you, mean you wouldn't send a good faith estimate? Yeah, no, I really mean it. Um, because, you know, when I was tra uh, tracking it with my metrics, you know, and how many good faith estimates I sent out versus how many loans I did with those people, um, as I had just told you, my conversion rate was 15%. But when I stopped and I said, look, it's really important that we meet face-to-face. -face. I want to learn, you know, I want you to be able to trust me. I, I need to trust you as a client to make sure that you're not doing anything that could threaten my livelihood and that your expectations are set, you know, that I know yours and you know mine as we go through the process to make it smooth. My conversion rate turned into 87%. So I thought, well, I can spend 20 minutes doing a bunch of good faith estimates, you know, 20 minutes on each one of them, sending them out. Or I could spend an hour with one client and know that I have that client. And that's how my volume increased. Clearly, that's how my yes. volume increased over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is, is we call it bringing the future into the present. So when yeah. someone makes a request of you, right, Jen, and, and 
you went through what we call, again, that mutually beneficial piece, which is the rules of engagement, which was, hey, I would love to get together, love to give you a good faith estimate, but here's the way I'm looking at it would probably make sense if we did this and this. And it's beneficial for them too. So those that will see it that way are the ones that are going to meet with you. But it also is your tone, how you sound and how you come across is significantly important. Because when you're on the telephone, your tone is 87% of your effectiveness to create trust. 87%. So how you sound, your pitch, your rate, your cadence, your comfortability in asking what you're saying and in, in asking the questions that you're asking. Now, one of the techniques that, that we, we teach people when it comes to can you, hey, do you mind if you send me some literature or can you, do you mind if you send me a good faith qu- uh, estimate or, hey, do you have a hypo you can send me? What we typically do is called bring the future into the present. And what that does is helps people identify, is this mutually beneficial? And you can do something as easy as what we would consider a level 101 move, which would be, Jen, no problem. Be more than happy to send it to you. What's the next step after that? Just nice and easy. Another one you can do is, Jen, no problem. Be more than happy to send it to you. Let me ask you a quick question. If what I send you doesn't fit, that's a piece of cake, right? I'm sure you'll use somebody else. But what do you want to do if it does fit? Now, when you say, what do you want to do if it does fit, if you don't get a commitment to take action, why would you mm-hmm. take the commitment to send the good faith? Right. So an awful lot of people, when they say, well, if it makes sense, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and move it, move forward with you, I would turn around and say, all right, hey, listen, I appreciate that. That's normally what the right people say, is it makes more sense to get together. Now, can I ask you a couple quick questions? What, what are you looking for in a loan officer so when it's time to go get the loan and go to the purchase area, you don't have any anxiety? So from the, where the two of you sit, what are your expectations in someone like us? So it's not difficult if you just sit back like you did and said, wait a minute, this is my livelihood. I have to make sure this is fair for me. And I think your, your statistics, because we have the same, same statistics with people who give away stuff for free on the world of hope, right, and those that do a little, a little digging, it is almost identical to yours. So, you know, within five or six points, which is pretty close. So the world of reality is if you actually want to sell more, stop being a beggar. Stop being, you know, hey, listen, please, please, please use me, use me. And sometimes when you actually ask more questions, it does become a lot easier. And there's an old Buddhist saying that the hard way is actually the easy road, and the easy way becomes the hard road. So a lot of times yeah, well, you do a good faith, right? Next yeah. thing you know, they're on the, 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 the signing it. Next thing you know, they find out what their, the taxes may be or they find out what the HOA may be, and they, they say, oh, my gosh, I can't do this, and your deal starts to fall apart in the 11th hour. So, you know, there's some simple things that you can do to make sure that your deals are solid. Yeah, I have um – Les Brown does a quote, and it's probably probably from that, you know, stemmed from that, that if you'll do what is easy, your life will be hard. If you do what is hard, your life will be easy. And I, it's at the end of every one of the presentations I, I give. Every time I speak, I, I give his thing because um, it takes time to be good. It does. And, and, you know, selling, being in a sales environment, and regardless of the um, industry, it's, there is no magic pill. The magic pill is work, and it's, 
you know, putting some time in and educating yourself to be better at what you're doing. And part of that is recognizing that you are a salesperson just as much as you are an educator. So yeah. I love I love that you you said that. Now is that is that what you're referencing when you talk about what can a salesperson do in 60 seconds to get a commitment, or is that something different? Yeah, that that's 60 seconds. If you want to know, if you want to have a better idea about someone's commitment then turn around and say, no problem, we can get it done, what's the next step? And if you get an idea of what the next step is, in, the, in an odd way, Jen, right, it is so black and white. So you can also turn around and say a little more advanced. Yeah, so another version is you, you get them to say no to you first, and then you ask them what would happen if it fit. So... You can turn and say, Jen, listen, no problem. I understand that you came referred to us from, you know, Phil Nicholplitz. I'd be more happy to send you out a good faith estimate. Look, if, if I'll go ahead and, and I'm going to ask you some questions. I'll put some stuff together for you. If I send it to you, the dollars don't make sense. The rate's not the right one. Terms aren't, aren't what you're looking for. That's a piece of cake. You'll just use another option. Fair? And you're going to turn around and say, yeah. yeah. It's okay. What do you want to do as a next step if it fits? If they turn around and don't give you some black and white answers, to me, I'm going to turn around and say, well, where's the commitment to you? If, if you're asking a commitment from me to you, it's not back. So the way that you, this is called bringing the future into the present, you're in essence actually doing the good faith without ever sending it. Right. By saying to them, if it doesn't fit, right, use somebody else, no problem. What do you want to do if it does fit? you're going to find out right then and there within 30 seconds the same answer you would have done after you spent 45 minutes to an hour, get all the stuff together, send it to them, follow up two or three times. Same answer before you do the work, right? not after right. you do the work. And you're going to, if, when you do prepare one, you're going to be more prepared, obviously. It's going to be the one that does fit, you know, and that will help you get yes. there. And, 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 again, I'm not saying you're going to do it and send it to them. You just agree that you will because it lowers the defense mechanisms. Yes. Yeah. So you can turn around and do exactly what you do, which I love, makes me smile, is can you send me one? No. I think that's fantastic, right? That's a, that's a Northeast move. Um, yeah. But <laughs> if, if those of you that, <laughs> if those of you have some trepidation with that, what you can say is no problem, be more than happy to. And that just lowers the defense mechanisms. And then you can turn and give them the option to back out before you ask them the real question, which is, if it doesn't fit, that's no problem. You'll just use another, another avenue that you have. But what do you want to do if it fits? Mm-hmm. The real answer, the only answer is, then we need to move forward. And if they say that, the next move is, okay, that's actually the right answer. Do you have a calendar handy? And you book an appointment and go see them. Right. Right. Awesome. That's awesome. And it's very simple. It's very easy. It's something that we can all use and implement right away in our business. So let's move Yeah, I mean, I have a, for instance, a financial planner that, that's increased his, his closing ratio by 30 points just by asking this question during the sales call. Wow. So he does that's less proposals. I hope everybody heard that. But he closes every one that he does. Hmm? That means that means yeah. if you're if you're getting three out of three out of ten people calling and you get three deals and you try this, potentially you could get six out of ten phone calls. You know that's, that's or really or the yeah or the seven that we didn't get of the ten. 
we don't spend two or three meetings or any emotional time or wondering why they're not calling back or having that part of our pipeline. So the emotional right. trash that comes with poor right. qualifications is insane. Yep. Right. Yep, that's exactly it. And affecting our attitude. You know, that's really what it's going to do. So let's talk about one of the things that you had mentioned that you wanted to talk about was procrastination in sales. I call it, you know, uh, something else, which I can't think of the name of right now. Sales, sales reluctance, right? That procrastination. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and that limiting belief on how you think it's going to go, so you're just not going to do it. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Right. What would you like to share with us about procrastination? Well, see, the interesting thing is if you really look at procrastination from a psychological level. What procrastination is is that you're denying what you think is going to be painful to keep the enjoyment in front of you longer, whatever that may be. But when we look at procrastination, first we have to understand it and identify it. More times than not, we use the same tactic all the time. And, um, and more times than not, when we do it, procrastination is actually probably one of the most ironic weaknesses that we have. What we don't want to have happen, for instance, is um, I need to make more outbound phone calls, but I procrastinate because I have fear of failure. I delay it. When I delay it, I don't see enough people. When I don't see enough people, I'm not making enough money, which means I need to see more people. So it becomes this crazy, crazy circle that starts to happen. And when I talk to people about procrastination, one of the things I typically find is two underlying currents that are very, very evident inside their practice. The first is they don't understand how to fail. They don't understand the process of failure. They look at failure as a negative, and they see failure as, I'm a loser, I did something wrong. And most people who fear failure, unfortunately, are not risk takers. So, because if you risk, there's a possibility of failure, right? But failure is the best place to learn about yourself. Failure is the best place to learn how to adapt new attitudes. It's really where you reorder re um, your priorities. And, and quite honestly, it's a great place to get your gut system strengthened. We see failure as a negative versus the people who are best in the industry will see failure. They don't like it either, Jen, but they're not afraid of it. They're not afraid of failure, so therefore they're a big risk taker. How they see failure is failure is a lesson. Failure is nothing more than an outcome that was not what I was hoping for. That's it, no more, no less. So yeah. your best people will keep swinging that bat and not worry about getting the strikes because they know they're going to hit the home run versus people who have a lower self-esteem when they swing the bat and they strike at one strike, they feel like a ding-dong, so they don't want to swing the bat anymore. So one is, I would tell you, definitely have your uh, individuals learn how to perceive failure to be a positive. I know that sounds weird, but it's, it's critically yeah. important. The second thing is with procrastination is that most people who procrastinate don't have purpose. And what I mean by that is, is they don't have a goal-setting program that actually burns their belly. They don't have a commitment to the end game. Right. So if I don't have a burning passion to earn that kind of money, to be in that corner office, to have a capacity to, you know, put a new extension on the home, have a capacity to, to whatever your financial objectives are, 
My question is, how committed are you to that? What are you willing to give up to get it? Are you ready to change your priorities and change your attitudes and your vision of certain things to achieve that objective? If you don't have clarity on what you're trying to do, then the road to get there sometimes becomes the means to the end, and that creates procrastination. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the two I pieces I would tell you to look at procrastination is your goals and, and your perception of failure. Yeah, and you know, this is a perfect time of year because we're recording this the first of 2017, and um, you know, this, this happens to be one of the things that I bark on all the time is about, you know, we're having a plan and working your plan, but understanding your why. Why are you... Why are you working every day? You know, is it just to work because that's what everybody does? Or is it because you're trying to get to some life goal that you need to be very clear on um, so that nothing will stand mm-hmm. in your way so that you can utilize your income and your, your passion and what you love to do, you know, taking care of families, if that's what it is, you know, in, in the lending field. Um, but it's, you know, I love taking care of families. And by taking care of families, I'm making money that will get me to my end goal. You know, and the life's passion. Yep. So if I don't make phone calls, I'm not able to get to my life passion. And that's, um, you know, the, the process of lending, it just happens to be the means to get there. You know, it's the road that I'm taking. But I think that, that um, that's really, I like your analogy of baseball because that's an easy way for people to understand, you know, that you, you've got to make those phone calls and you've got to learn from the no in order to go, you know, forward in what's, yeah, I mean, you take a look at something as easy as, as yeah, like you said, phone calls, right? So, Jen, you have to make, suppose you're going to make 30 dials and you expect to get, hypothetically, 10 people on the phone, just for easy math. Yeah. Of those 10 people you get on the phone, you set up two appointments. Again, just ugly but easy math. For most people, in their mind, they say, oh, I failed eight times. Right. What I would turn around and say, if, if that's really your ratios, 10 contacts, two appointments, and you need to get two appointments on a daily basis is your goal, then I would turn around and tell you your two appointments is not your goal. What your goal should be is to get eight people to tell you no. Yeah. Get on the phone, no, and until you get eight people that say, thank you very much, yeah. right, <laughs> right. So my goal is to know. I ask more questions. I'm going after truth, right? You said something that warmed my heart. Stop trying to sell stuff and just go after truth. If people just follow that, it'd be so much easier. But go for the no, not the yes. It's just an easier way of doing it that plays a little bit of mind games with you but works incredibly well. Right. And I want to be clear about it. Your intent isn't to make the phone call and be horrible at your sales pitch so that you get a no. The goal is to be as good as you can possibly be at the call, but learn from the call. (laughs) Yeah, and not be afraid of a no. That's the key. Right. So if if I'm having a dialogue and you and I are going back and forth and you say to me, hey, Glenn, you know, this sounds uh, pretty interesting. Why don't you send me something in the mail? Or it sounds pretty interesting. Why don't you try me back next week? Well, if I'm going for a yes, I'll say, okay, no problem. But if I'm going for truth, I'll turn around and say, absolutely more than happy to. You know, if I talk to you next week, you know, from your standpoint, you know, what's the best time to do that or what's the agenda going to be? And you just keep moving that ball forward. And if you go for the no, you're more apt to get more questions asked by you to qualify it. And you're not afraid of a no. 
which means you get truth faster. If you're afraid of the no, you do a lot of assuming, and that's really dangerous in selling. Yeah, well, it's better to know than wonder, right? Yes. <laughs> yep. I can't pay my mortgage on hope, right? That's right. That's right. I know. But, I, you know, that's what's so funny, though. A lot of loan officers do that. I see a lot of them doing that where they're just, you know, they're cats on a marble floor. They come from, you know, a place of scarcity and not abundance. And, you know, I'll just do as many of these good faith estimates, enough stuff to hit the, you know, wall. I'll finally get business, you know, all worrying about their loan, you know, I mean, about their mortgage, yes. their own mortgage, you know, paying their mortgage. So, you know, again, sometimes it's better just to stop and, and stop to move forward faster. So as we kind of um, round things up a little bit, Glenn, here, um, one of the other things I want to ask you is about the top three challenges that are keeping salespeople from generating more revenues in less time. What, what are the top three things that in, we're doing wrong? What are we doing? Well, yeah, I would, I would currently say, you know, are some things yeah, that they're I doing know, to, to yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, to, to close more business in less time. Um, the first is, is I would turn around and, and I know it's a huge umbrella, but I would say the first is, is most loan officers don't spend enough time on qualifying the opportunity. They really don't understand the emotional drivers behind it. They don't understand the financials. They don't understand the decision making. They don't understand time frame. Um, so one would be is spend more time on qualifying. In our world, 90% of your time is qualification. And if you yeah. do that, your conversion ratio from qualification to close is incredibly high. Right, because the now second it's piece I would say, yeah, exactly. Again, do they have any emotional drivers? What's the financials that we're dealing with? What's the decision making that we're dealing with? What's the time frame? There's just some simplistic benchmarks that we have to hit. Versus mm -hmm. you're breathing. Oh, you want a house? You're qualified. Ugh, that's not qualified, right? Um, the second, I would say, is a way to uh, shorten your sales cycle um, or get more business in less time is understanding time. And, and we call it pay time versus no pay time. And the average person, we can either increase their sales by 30% or have them have the same amount of sales but do it in 30% less time. For, so for some people... They don't want to sell more. They just want to be home more and make the same amount of money. For other people, it's just that they don't want as much stress. So depending on what part of the seesaw you want better. But the pay time and no pay time is really what we call the trouble line. And the trouble line, Jen, is the difference between pay time and no pay time. And pay time are the things that you do that are critical to generate income. And the no pay time are things that are important but not critical. So, for instance, mm -hmm. the average person has four to six pay time activities that they have to do. The average person has between 30 and 80, yeah, I know it's a huge window, of non-pay time activities that they have to do on a weekly basis. The individuals that are only okay in the industry will do the no pay time first. And when time allows, they do the pay time. Your winners will always do pay time first and either pay other people or do the no pay time in blocks of time. So, for instance, if let's just take it in, in realms of your world is you're on LinkedIn, you're on Facebook, you're looking up for other alliances that you can 
work with, either financial planners, CPAs, real estate people. You're taking a look at who can I get in contact with. If you're looking for names through Facebook and or through LinkedIn, that's a no-pay time activity. Actually making the phone call or meeting with the people is pay time. If someone says to you, I need a good faith estimate, creating a good faith estimate is no pay time. Meeting with them face-to-face is pay time. Correct. Prospecting, qualifying, closing, um, some service work is pay time. And almost everything else is no pay time. So unfortunately, when we work with people, we make sure they focus their time and the right amount of time that they need to focus in on based on the objectives they need to have on paid time activities. So our average client, Jen, will grow 30 points with their eyes closed just because we have them work on the right end of the issues at the right time. So they become ultra-efficient, ultra-effective, and either that means selling more in less time or um, selling the same amount but having a lot, lot more free time off. Right, right. You know, this aligns with, uh, you know, to those that are listening, if you think back on some of the podcasts or any seminar you've been to, you know, it's talking about your unique, um, your, your unique uh, genius zone and, you know, working in your genius zone, working on your vital few. That's what Darren Hardy says. Um, it's working on your vital few. Um, working on your MIGs, which are massive impact goals. It's working on those things first and foremost, and everything else will fill in the blanks rather than working on the small little things that you, and again, that, you know what it boils back down to is procrastination because you don't have, yes. you're either afraid because of the fear of failure or you don't have enough passion that drives you that says, I have to get that done. I have to do it. It might hurt. It might be a big, nasty, eat that frog, but I got to get it done because it serves that passion. And that's why having a plan is so important so that you can constantly exactly. look at what it is that you're trying to accomplish and, and reminding yourself on a daily basis about those feelings and the emotions behind those, that passion. It should almost make you cry. Anytime you talk about what your passion is, um, it should make you cry. It should. Even if you're a man. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you should definitely have a lot of adrenaline kicking through your body, you know, yeah. in terms of the endorphins. But, you know, that trouble line, you're 100% right. That trouble line, a lot of people will be busy at work, and that means they're doing a lot of no pay time activities. No pay time activity is one great place to hide from doing your pay time guilt-free, right? Look uh, look at this territory plan I put together. Look at I've I've done some research over here. I've looked at four or five different real estate offices I can capture tomorrow. Well, they spent seven hours getting ready to get ready. You can't play the game and watch the game on the field. You've got to make up your mind. If you want to watch the game, go sit in the bleachers. If you want to play, then get on the field. But you can't be on the field and watch. And unfortunately, most yeah, of us do know, that and when we're in business, especially for ourselves. Oh, yeah. And, and it happens all the time. You know, another way that I've heard that say is you can't learn how to ride a bike by going to a seminar. Right. That's the, that's the, book of, uh, that's the title <laughs> of our book. Good leading. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. So... Um, and, and well, that's where I saw it. Then that's where I saw it. I said, "That's I said." You know, so I mm-hmm. also heard it say it that way. You know, it's so true. You cannot learn how to ride a bike by going to a seminar. You have to actually do it. And um, 
This is where everybody fails so much is that they listen and listen and they think they're great ideas and then they just don't put anything into play. So hopefully after this call today, we, we um, I hate to use the word hope with you, but um, hopefully after this, this uh this uh, conference call, you know, our, our podcast here is that at minimum, people will start adding a few more, ver uh, you know, scripts, I'll use that, but it's a few more lines to their their calls. They'll start thinking, maybe I should stop before I move forward and make sure that it's a mutually beneficial move for me. And I think on the procrastination side, you know, really looking at what your passion is um, so that really nothing will stand in your way and, and failing won't hurt you either because you just have to get there. That's that's so critical. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's absolutely critical. So now let me ask you a question then. Um, it, as we're kind of finishing up here, um, what are you reading right now? What kind of books are you reading? I have, um, again, I'm a pretty boring shrink, so I have some different books that I read. Um, one of the ones I'm reading right now is The Scripts People Live by Claudia Steiner. I'm a very big Eric Byrne person. I think everybody on the line should read as much as they can about Eric Byrne in terms of the okay, not okay theory and something called transactional analysis. is probably one of the best operational manuals of humans. Um, uh, you also mentioned uh, um, one of the books that we have, but I'm just finishing reading it now. It's the Sandler Success Principles that we have, mm -hmm. uh, which I found to be pretty fantastic. And then the last one I'm in the process of finishing up is one from uh, Barbara and Alan Pease. I think the spelling is P-E-A-S-E. -E. They were written a little while ago. They did a lot of CAT scans on men and women and found out some commonalities and differences. So if you really want to find out the information that men are from Venus and women are from Mars, whatever the title was, the person who wrote that book got all his information from these two doctors. So if you really want to have a great ops manual on the differences of men and women, that's a great book. I think yeah, the name so of the I book is something crazy are. like, uh, yeah, yeah. So those are yeah, three I books that I'm in the process of reading. In sales. You know, you're working with both, so it's important for you to know which one you know, you're working with and how they're going to react. Well, thanks for sharing your books. I think, you know, I, I just think it's always important to ask um, anyone that I'm interviewing, who, what kind of book they're reading, just so that we all continue to grow. I think that's really, really important. So what would you like us like to leave with us today, Glenn? Well, I think for those of you that are on and listening to the podcast, if, if you're in a situation where either you're unhappy because you're not getting the results that you want, or if the average person would look at you in your practice and say, they have to be an 11 out of 10, just killing it, crushing it, but you know deep down inside you're really only performing at a 7. So if you're those individuals that know you can be better, expect better from you, and are trying to figure out how to get there, either Jen can do a phenomenal job on how to do so, more than welcome to come on to our website, which is Matson, M-A-T-T, son.sandler.com. Um, there's a bunch of white papers. There are a fair amount of stuff that you can download. Um, and when you take a look at what you're trying to achieve in your life, put a plan together and then work your plan. If you don't believe in what you're trying to do, redo your plan or redo the end game. But once you've done your, your, your priority in terms of what you're trying to accomplish, you figure out what your plan is, 
then drop everything else and go to work with absolute commitment and absolute discipline to make sure you do the daily behaviors to get there. Being successful is not hard. Yep. Doing it's the hard part. Well, you know, yeah, I know. It's it's the work. It's not. There's no magic pill. I just want to be successful. It's, there's got to be some work behind it, and it's the thought, the thinking, so that you know how to act rather than just getting. You know, you've heard all the crazy cliches. You just can't get in your car and start driving somewhere. You've got to have a plan on where you're going to go. And it's all it's all sounds like silly things, but the reason that they're out there is because they work. <laughs> That's why everybody uses them. Yeah. So. Well, Glenn, it's been a pleasure. I mean, here's a scary, you, um, very scary statistic. Yeah, if you, if Jen, if you look at it, 80% of the people walking planet Earth have zero goals, have zero understanding of what they want out of life. 80%. That's a staggering number. 16% of the people walking planet Earth have an idea of what they want in life, have an idea of where they want to be in a year from now, have an idea of what they're trying to accomplish in their life. An idea. No plan, just an idea. 4% of the population, or three and a half, actually have a plan. They have an idea of what they want, and they have a plan to get there. Ironically, of that, right, yeah, less than 1%, less than 1% of the population have an objective, have a plan, track it, and tell others about it. Less than 1%. Yet, if we look at individuals who have goals, they earn three times more than those that don't. Yep. There's too much proof in the fact that you got to, I mean, you know and I know people plan their vacations better than they do their own lives. And so get a plan, follow your plan, and be absolutely tenacious after your end objective. Yeah, and be faithful to your plan. It's, it's, it is. It's faith-based, yes. too. It is. Well, thank you, Glenn, so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, again, everybody, you can go to um, Glenn's website. It's Matson, M-A-T-T-S-O-N dot Sandler, S-A-N-D-L-E-R dot com. And you can get information about, um, I still call it the Sandler Selling System. I guess they must have changed the name. It is, ago, sure. Through the course. Yeah, it's yeah okay, because I used to... <laughs> I know all about the system. I had gone through the class myself. So, um, you know, I know you have um, quite a few franchises all over the country. So if someone's listening in and they can't, you know, come to something in New York, I'm sure that you can help them find some place near their, near their house so that they can um, entertain the true aspect of sales because it's not just that we're educating people, but there's a sales aspect to it and, and there's a methodology that goes behind it. So. Everybody, thank you so much for uh, joining us today on this podcast. As always, I appreciate you listening in. I appreciate you telling everyone about us so that you're not keeping me a secret. And I look forward to talking to you on the next time. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a comment or rating. Get more free email updates transcripts, selling and education resources, and Jen's upcoming speaking events. Just visit our website at kineticsparkconsulting.com.